Hey, church, thank you for being with us again. Listen, I'm still not over how much fun it is to see your faces. It is a blessing for y'all to be here. Believe it or not, you know, this is the new full capacity of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Thanks for helping us reach it for the first time since we have been back. Listen, as we look today, and we are going to be the last sermon in our powerful prayer series, we are going to be in Numbers chapter 6. And we are going to see the original Lord's Prayer. See, the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament was how Jesus told the disciples to pray. But see, there's another prayer that was given by God himself. And I love the words of this prayer. This is a prayer of blessings. We serve a God that wants to bless us. See, we've talked about it in the previous weeks, but often we get very nervous to talk about how God wants to give blessings because it can be taken too far and we can try to create God to be some sort of genie in a bottle rather than to be the high king of heaven. But trust me, that high king of heaven has plans to bless us when we follow after him, when we make much of him. And so we are going to see a blessing today. And I think it is so fitting that we see this blessing, we see this Lord's prayer coming to us on Senior Sunday. See, seniors, you have been told so many different things over the past few days. One of the biggest, weirdest things I think you get told, you may have been told this, I don't know. High school is the best years of your life. First of all, they're basically saying that it's all downhill from here. And uh, first, second of all, if, you, if high school was the best years of your life, you've really done life wrong. Can I just say that? It does get better, so much better. But as we look at Numbers chapter 6 together, what I hope for us as a congregation, it's an outline on how we should pray, how we should pray for our recent graduates, how we should pray for anyone that we come into contact with. It is a concept of us praying blessings upon others. Do we recognize that the Lord wants us to lift him up in praise through prayer? He also wants for us to lift up others in prayer more than we lift up ourselves. Isn't that interesting? How often do we lift up others in prayer or do we lift up ourselves primarily? It's something to assess. Let's look at Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 together. Verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites and I will bless them. Now this is a incredible prayer. This is a popular prayer. This prayer is famous. See, I knew about this prayer. I had known about these words before I ever knew it was in scripture. In high school, I was involved in high school choir and we sang a song that were these words verbatim, a classical song. And what's interesting is until probably, I guess, till I was about 21, 22, I had no idea that that song was straight out of scripture. See, what you're going to hear a lot as you graduate high school and as you walk through life, everyone's going to tell you to make an impact, to make the world a better 
place. I absolutely agree. But when we talk about making an impact, let's look at scripture as our guide because nothing has made a bigger impact on the world and on society than God's word itself. And we see God's word scattered all throughout our government. We see God's word scattered all throughout our culture. People are quoting God's word on a daily basis and have no idea recognize how effective God's word has been when people take it to heart and live it out. In turn, how can we be effective while by grabbing hold of the most effective information we can? And what is one of the first things that we're going to see in Numbers chapter six in this prayer? When the Lord spoke to Moses. That word Lord in your Bible may or not be all capitalized. And the reason why it's all capitalized is because that is the sacred covenant name of the Lord. It's Yahweh in Hebrew. And they treated this name with so much authority. And here's what they're saying. The high king of heaven spoke to Moses. And he told Moses to talk to his brother Aaron, who was the high priest. So Moses was the prophet, Aaron was the priest, and he says, this is how Aaron, the priest, should bless all of the people. So all of the people that you work with, all of the people that you see, you should pray this prayer for them. So what is the first thing that we see? God wants to bless us, but God wants to bless us through prayer. Recognize this. He says, I want to bless you, but I want you to ask me these things on behalf of other people. Catch the importance of that, church. Listen, we put so much pressure on people that we never pray for. Man, we sure do hope that that person gets their life together. Man, we sure hope that they do repent. We love to gossip about about people in church. Can you believe they said that? Can you believe they did that? Can you believe that they chose to live that way or to do this or to go down? You know what? We can gossip all we want, but that doesn't accomplish anything. But prayer accomplishes much. And I hope that we will continue, because we are, we will continue to be a church that values prayer above anything else, that values prayer over gossip. And we recognize that God wants for us to pray for others. And he writes the prayer that he wants for Aaron to pray. Now, You look at this and you might want to take this into context and you say, well, that was God talking to Moses to tell the priest. I'm not a priest. So glad you said that. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who is that talking to? believers. It's not talking to the Israelites. He's saying, because you are saved by faith through grace, you are a royal priesthood. What does that mean? You are all called to live a life of ministry in service to one another. And the utmost way that we serve one another is what? First and foremost, prayer. The prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So the Lord comes to Moses and he says, Moses, tell Aaron to pray and pray this. Now let's jump into this. Verse 22, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Now let's skip to 25. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. What is the first and foremost thing that we should pray for others, that we should pray for graduates and every person that we come in contact with? We should pray that God shows his 
grace to them. What does that mean? That they will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Often we pray for people to be blessed by God, but hear me, if they do not have a relationship with Jesus, what is the point of God's blessing? What is the point of having God bless someone who doesn't have a relationship with him in the first place? Listen, why would we want for anybody to go through life and have a great life but not have the opportunity to have eternal life? That is the first and foremost thing that we pray for. We recognize that we can build a gigantic house, but when it is not built on the Lord and it is built on the sand, when the tide comes and the tide always comes, the house crumbles. So first and foremost, we pray for the salvation of whoever God puts on our heart. We pray for the salvation of the people that we come into contact with. We desperately need his grace. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And so what should the senior class of 2020 take from this? You need to pay close, close attention that you are not good. See, the past few days, I'm sure you've heard so many inspiring speeches and you've heard so many great things about how smart you are and how talented you are and how blessed you are and how good you are. But God's word says that the heart is exceedingly wicked. But that is a heart that doesn't belong to Jesus. Recognize this. When we live a life for the Lord, we can accomplish much, but you on your own are not good enough to accomplish anything, certainly not heaven. And so what do we need? We need the opportunity to come to saving faith through grace. Saying that, may the Lord make his face shine upon you. Now, here's what I want for you guys to understand. We talk about this concept that if we do bad things, God turns his back on us. God walks away from us. But I don't think that's a scriptural approach. When I look at God's word, the only time where I can see God turning his back on a believer, the very last time he did that was to his one and only son on the cross. When Jesus took your sin and my sin and placed it upon his shoulders, what did God do? God turned his back onto his only son because he could not look on him because of the sin that was upon him. But when we say yes to Jesus, when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we recognize that we are not good enough to save ourselves, but we call out to Jesus in his grace and his mercy, and we have received him as a personal Lord and Savior, what happens? He never turns his back on us he never walks away from us but that doesn't mean that we can be with that we can't be without his presence we can walk away from him but I don't believe that God turns away from us see I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son you guys remember that story the son leaves the father, takes his father's wealth and squanders it, finds himself in a bad way and chooses to come home. And on the route home, where do we find the father? The father is still looking in the direction that the son left, waiting for the son to return. Hear me, when we make mistakes, which, guess what? Recent graduates, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes and you can allow your mistakes to define you. You can allow your mistakes to embarrass you. You can allow your mistakes to shame you. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to convince you 
that you are way too messed up to ever return home, that you won't be accepted, that the Lord won't forgive. Guess what? All the mistakes that you're gonna make, God has already forgiven you for them when he died on the cross. I don't believe that shame comes from the Lord. Shame is a tactic of the enemy to keep you in your sin. My Jesus offers forgiveness. My Jesus offers for us to be washed clean. So do not allow for sin to keep you because of the shame you may experience because the Lord makes his face shine upon us. Luke 18, verse nine. I wanna talk about something that's super important. While we have to recognize that the Lord always, always accepts us back, what does it take for us to walk back in a good standing with the Lord after we make mistakes? Humility. Let's look at a great story of humility. Luke chapter 18, verse nine. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, a religious man, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. So Jesus here is talking about the importance of prayer Jesus is talking about the importance of coming to God in the correct manner. And then he talks about in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, which was a sign of humility and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee prayed 33 words, affirming himself five times, but the tax collector prayed seven words. And if you look at his prayer, does it not seem like a prayer of salvation? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That seems like a salvific prayer to me. Lord, I recognize that you are God and I am not. Forgive me, have mercy on me because I am a sinner. I am not good enough to get to heaven on my own. This is a very salvific moment. It takes a lot of humility to come to faith in Christ because you are admitting that you are faulty. You are admitting that you have failed and you are asking Jesus to come in and perfect you and to complete you. You are saying that you are not good enough to do this life on your own. One of the phrases that the word wants to say that's empowering is you are enough. And listen, I believe that you are not enough. But with the Lord as your guide, with the Lord as your lead, when you live a life that is in submission to him, he will be enough to pull you through any and every obstacle that you face. Verse 14 of this story, I tell you this man rather than the other went home justified before God because of humility. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Listen, you're gonna have a moment where you feel straight humility in this next upcoming year. All of us will. Are we not humbled often? If you're not often humbled, then you definitely don't have a wife because my wife has the ability to humble me on a regular basis. Church, what I'm saying is this. We must consistently and constantly cling to 
humility because when we cling to humility, we are making less of ourselves and recognizing our desperate need for a savior. We have to recognize that we could never ever accomplish much in this life and certainly not anything for the kingdom without him. There was a man that was very popular in the 1400s and the 1500s and I think even public high schools teach about the effect that Martin Luther had on the world. Martin Luther said, if ever a man could, save, could be saved by monkery, he was a monk, I was that man. He said, I prayed more than anybody. I fasted more than anyone I knew. I read more than anyone and I would beat my body to put it under subjection to the will of God. And all the things that he did to try and earn God's favor and God's merit were fleeting. And then one day he learned about grace, but the righteous man shall live by faith. He recognized Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself, that is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Can I bring one more scripture in? I'm quoting a lot. Paul was a famous Christian. Paul had a lot to brag about. He was educated. He was popular. He was one of the men that God used to take the Christian faith to the next level, to gain the popularity, to gain the movement that it had. And Paul said this, let me boast on nothing but the cross of Christ. I hope and pray, graduates, that you strive to not make much of yourself in this lifetime. You're going to get to a point to where what you're being told is to promote you and to sell you. You're going to be told that when you're meeting potential spouses. You're going to be told that when you're job interviewing. You're going to be told that when you're trying to make much of yourself. But I pray that you strive to not make much of yourself, but to leverage your life to make much of Jesus, boasting on nothing but the cross of Jesus, because that is through which we have everything that we have been blessed with. The next thing that we need to recognize as a church, we not only need to pray for our salvation and their humility, we also need to be praying for God's protection. May the Lord bless you and protect you. Other versions might say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The word shamar is the word used for protect, and it means to hedge about with thorns. See, we desperately need God's protection. See, y'all, I love you and I love youth. I love teenagers. I love recent graduates. I have served most of my ministry working with young high school students and college students. But hear me when I say this. My son is in a similar position that y'all are right now. My, my son is 16 months old just about. And here's what's up with him. He has a lot of physical ability to get himself in a whole lot of trouble that mentally he can't get himself out of. What I mean by that is this kid can walk, he can climb, he can jump. The other day I found him on top of the counter. The other day I found him on top of the refrigerator. The other day I found him on top of the cupboards. Like this boy can get anywhere. Here's the problem. He doesn't have the mental capacity at this moment to handle the gifts that he's been given. And I think often we can find ourselves in that place in life. You're about to have more freedom, seniors, than you've ever had. You're about to have so much freedom and abilities to do all kinds of things. 
But if you think for a moment that you have the wisdom to navigate that freedom on your own, you're going to find yourself in a horrible and awful situation. But here's the beautiful thing. In life, we have been given a shepherd because all of us would be in so much trouble if we did not have the protection of our Father. We recognize that the Lord describes himself often as a shield or a shepherd. How does a shield and a shepherd work? Well, listen, you can own a shield, but if you do not carry your shield in a battle with you, your shield is useless, isn't it? Your shield can only work if it's close to you. See, one thing a little bit about me, I love history. And lately, my big kick has been Vikings. I've been loving to study Vikings. Viking warfare is so interesting. But here's what's interesting. The Vikings came up with a thought on the shield. They viewed their shield as their most important piece of equipment. You would never see a big, bad Viking in battle without holding the shield. And he recognized that without the shield, he would be vulnerable to the enemy attack. But more than that, he recognized that more than just having one shield, there was power in what they called the shield wall. See, what Vikings would do is when they knew that the enemy's arrows were going to be flying, they would all group up together and they would form a wall and a roof using their shields. And that would keep them 100% protected from the enemy's assault. Even with advanced weaponry like crossbows and bows and arrows that they had at the time, they could not permeate the shield wall when they chose to be protected by numerous shields. Now, where am I getting at? So glad you asked. Listen, when we talk about God's protection, God dwells on earth through the Holy Spirit. Now, where does the Holy Spirit reside? In the heart and life of other believers. And when we are around other believers, we can also be protected by them. There is safety in numbers. And one of the biggest, most practical things I can yell at recent graduates is you need a church. When you go out to college, don't just join Christian clubs. Join a church of believers of various age demographics because you need all of them to pour wisdom into you. You cannot disciple yourself very well. You need the health and protection and love of other believers. Where there is numbers, there is safety. But then also recognize this, you must stay completely tied to the Lord with an intimate relationship with him in order to have protection. Now, what do I mean by that? Think about the concept of the shepherd. We recognize that the Lord often refers to himself as the good shepherd. When we are close with Jesus, we find safety, we find protection, we find what we need. We also find sustenance. But hear me out. Even if we have a shepherd, but we are not close to the shepherd, we find ourselves in grave danger. See, a few years ago, a story went viral. There was a picture of a sheep that had escaped his flock, and the shepherd could not find him. He ran away from the shepherd and hid in the caves and the caverns of Ireland for years. Anybody see this? And when the sheep came out of the caves and was finally rediscovered, the sheep was in awful shape. The sheep was malnourished. The sheep couldn't see. Why? Because the wool, the fleece on the sheep, had grown so out of control, the fleece was dragging the floor. The fleece 
prevented the sheep from even being able to get its mouth to the ground. It prevented him from doing all of the things that he needed to do to survive. So what does a sheep need? Can a sheep shear itself? Of course not. And can we prune the sin out of our lives on our own? Absolutely not. We need the shepherd to consistently and constantly improve us, lead us, guide us, and make us better. But then also, here's what we need to do. We need to be praying for them that they will experience God's presence and God's favor. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. See, God is omniscient. You are always in his presence, but you are not always paying attention. This is a great thing to say to a cell phone generation. Listen, God is always present. You are just not always paying attention. See, I bet you anything you have completely missed a lot of wisdom that your parents have told you while you were watching or looking at your cell phone. It's easy to do, but hear me. When we aren't focused on the things of the Lord, but focused on the things of the world, we will miss God's voice even when he yells because we can allow for something else to take our focus. Other thing we need to be praying for, pray for the Lord's blessing and God's peace. Verse 26, may the Lord look with favor upon you and give you peace. That is his shalom. His peace is his shalom. He doesn't want for you to panic or worry. And I think this is something to hit in a big way. When this prayer talks about that the Lord would give you peace and be gracious unto you, I just got to hit this in a big way because we are living in a generation where anxiety medication is being prescribed more than it ever has. When we have recognized that antidepressants are being handed out more than they ever have, do you realize that this generation has been diagnosed with depression and anxiety more than any other depression any other, what's it called, generation has ever experienced. Hear me, church. They need our prayers in a big way. And we need to encourage them. See, often what we like to do as a church is we like to correct. We like to fix. We like to make them better. But here is the problem if all we ever do is tell them what they're doing wrong and what they could be doing better, they're never going to want to be around us in the first place. I think there's truth there. I think there's truth there. I think that what we have to remember is that they do bring value to the church. And this generation is probably doing a whole lot more things right than past generation has as well. Hear me. This generation has a super super soft heart for the world for lost causes they love the underdog they love to bring attention to things and they question everything and that's not a bad thing they bring a lot to this world and we need to recognize that they do it and praise them for it and also allow them to speak truth to us I think that's a huge part of the church church is accepting a new generation as they walk into it accepting their weaknesses but also accepting and loving them for their strengths recognizing that there is something that we can learn from them they need our encouragement they need us to lift 
them up because listen we live in a world that is telling us to constantly and consistently live in fear we see this everywhere we are told to live in fear by the world we have been told so many different things over the past few months of how fearful we should be of this world but I'm reminded of John 14 27 peace I leave with you my peace I give to you I do not give to you as the world gives don't let your heart be troubled or fearful Isaiah 41 10 do not fear for I am with you do not be afraid for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand in 1st John 4 18 I love this there is no fear in love instead perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment so the one who fears is not complete in love mm. hear that when we are in good standing with the Lord when we are confident in our salvation, when we are humble before him, recognizing that we are not good enough to do this life on our own, but we are desperately clinging to him. And then we live boldly through faith. Do you recognize what Christians can accomplish? This is a beautiful recipe that works every time. It's simple, humility, repentance mixed with faith seems like that achieves God's blessings I mean when I look at scripture and I want to live a blessed life that's what I think are the recipe in order for us to achieve what God's describing and young people listen you are going to be told so many messages you already have been but can I remind you of this you desperately need Jesus you're not good enough on your own but with him he can use you accomplish things that we have never seen done just because it's never been done doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't want to use you to be the first I think that's big be encouraged listen for all of us in this room in a moment I'm going to pray I'm going to open up this altar if you do not have good standing with the Lord if you're not confident that you have a relationship with him that you can build your faith upon would you please come and talk to me need prayer please come down if you'd like to pray at our altar please do but hear me my prayer all week is that God would use this text to expose things in your heart that you need to be aware of and I pray that in this moment you have a real dealing with the Lord and allow him to speak to you let's pray Lord we thank you for the opportunity we have to make much of you Lord we thank you for the opportunity we have just to dive into your word we are grateful for it God, we recognize that your world, your word has impact in this world and we desire to have an impact in this world. Your Holy Spirit resides in us and when we humble ourselves before you, pursue you with our whole heart and in turn, live a life not of fear, but of faith. We will accomplish much for your honor and for your glory, living a blessed life. Lord, I pray for these seniors. I pray that they will make much of you to come they will reject the ways of the world the lies of the world the lies of Satan and in turn they will boldly make much of you Lord, we love you 